podcast one production. I think the primary reason for the suspicion around it is the fact that these assessments are more often used in a recruitment context than anything else. And very often they're presented as a barrier to entry. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX listed companies. And this is Fast Track. In this episode, what you need to know about psychometric testing. My guest, Andres Kuhn. Andres has more than 20 years experience in the field and is the managing director of Thomas International. Anyone in the workforce will know that at some stage in your work life cycle, you'll probably complete what are often labelled as personality or psychometric tests or behavioural assessments. People often ask me what they should look out for and what are the rules? What's the validity? Is it just like doing a horoscope? Does it depend on my mood? Today on Fast Track, we're going to get real on what these tests are, who does them and why, and how they can actually benefit our progress in the workplace. With me, Andres Kuhn. I want to ask you, Andres, why are we scared and reticent and often suspicious about these tests and assessments? I think the primary reason for the suspicion around it is the fact that these assessments are more often used in a recruitment context than anything else. And very often they're presented as a barrier to entry, uh, which means that if you fail it, um, then you you won't get the job. Um, Unfortunately, um, the vast majority of application is within that context. However, we believe that the application should be more in a developmental area. Okay, I'd like to explore that a bit about the different contexts and applications Mm -hmm. um, for these tests. So we're a bit nervous because they're presented as a barrier to entry. So literally like a test, whether we pass or fail. Mm. We actually um, refer to most of these as assessments rather than tests, specifically for that reason. Right. So uh, the moment you talk about a test, it means that it's something that you can pass or fail. Mm. Whereas an assessment is something that tells you something about yourself. Um, So we prefer to use the word assessment, especially where we're not talking about normative assessments. Okay, so uh, let's discuss what are these assessments and what they might look like or be used for at work. Um, the primary applications, as we've already said, are um, mostly in recruitment, uh, a lot of application in developmental areas. So you can literally look at different members of a team and uh, discuss the different behavioral preferences between them, their different levels of emotional intelligence, even cognitive ability, those type of things. Um, and then as far as the classification of the different tests are concerned, very much a grouping into either cognitive i.e. your mental ability, um, how quickly do you grasp things, how smart are you essentially in layman's terms. Emotional intelligence is probably one of the newest uh, additions to the assessment batteries that we find around the world, Uh, really become uh, quite popular in the last 15 years Mm -hmm. or so. Uh, And then personality and behavioral assessment. So personality would be that which is underneath the surface. If you think about an iceberg in the ocean, That which is below the surface drives your behavior. It's the bigger chunk of who you are. Uh, And then the behavior is that which is visible above the surface and which other people see and perceive of you. So a tool that I use a lot that is provided by your organization is DISC. And that's very much about behavior. 
um, and it's an ability to understand how we might behave at work, how we uh, assess ourselves and what we might be under stress. And it's very useful, I believe, for greater self-understanding so people can grow and change. Um, What about some of the other types of assessments you can have out in the workplace? Um, as, as far as the emotional intelligence assessment, uh, for instance, is concerned, um, we believe that it's one of the most important ones because essentially it's about what drives and motivates you. Um, our specific emotional intel- intelligence assessment is trait-based, which basically means that it's personality or founded in your okay, personality. Okay, so this is really interesting because mm-hmm. I've had a bit of a stand-up argument and discussion with someone who said <laughs> you can't measure emotional intelligence effectively. Yes. You can't literally measure it. So why would you bother doing an assessment? What's your? What do you yeah. say about that? Uh, well, we, we've got the science to prove uh, that part of the argument wrong. Uh, There is very good predictive validity in um, a number of emotional intelligence assessments available on the market today, one of which, as I said, our own TQ is trait-based, and it shows substantial uh, levels of validity across the board. So on a scientific level, I mean, it's the same as in the same way that a drug company would test a new drug. Our assessments are actually tested and approved by certain boards around the world if they weren't valid, we wouldn't be able to use them. Okay, so I might get my emotional intelligence tested or assessed or and then then what are we going to do with it once I've got that assessment? So Apart emotional maybe freak out. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> and and perhaps it's important to note just on the freak out point. Um a lot of people are scared of doing assessments in the workplace because they think, what if it shows that I'm a psycho or there's something yeah. seriously wrong with me or anything yeah. like that? And I think it's very important to note that th- we are playing in a different field from clinical psychology. So the clinical psychologists would literally use an entirely different set of batteries. None of the um, business psychology instruments that you would encounter in the workplace would be able to tell you whether they've got <laughs> uh, the, the possibility to be an axe murderer or whatever the case is. So you can't actually assess my clinical psychological health. We're actually just seeing how I am presenting at work. Is that right? And my ability to do my job. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And I think the most important thing from whether we're talking about emotional intelligence or behavior or or any of the other assessments, um, I believe it's extremely important to have three things in order to have good relationships with other colleagues in the workplace. Uh, the first one is self-awareness. If I do not know what the impact is that I am having on other people, then I can't do anything about it. Um, I could come across as being very aggressive and very overbearing, but we don't know that. Uh, we, we're very often, we don't have very high levels of self-awareness and the perception of other people of my behavior. The second thing that's important is an understanding of another person's preferences. So I might have a mate that is very similar to the way I am and we banter and we have fun and we joke with each other. If I use that same approach with somebody that is very sensitive and um, has a very different profile from mine in the workplace, that could come across as being bullying for argument's sake. So we need to be very, very careful. And then the third thing that's very, very important is the ability and the willingness to change your behavior and to adapt to to other people. So those three things, as far as I'm concerned, are the most important in terms of using these assessments to improve yourself and better yourself as a worker and as a manager. What's the difference with a 360 feedback 
tool because a lot of my clients are doing leadership assessments. They might have a recruitment uh assessment mm-hmm. that they need to do if they're going for a job. They might, mm-hmm. as I do when I'm leading team development, bringing in different tools for them to use. So what's the, in your view, the use of a 360 degree feedback tool? I think 360s are extremely valuable in the workplace. Um, however, they, they're not necessarily classified as psychometric instruments. Uh, the, the primary difference being that a psychometric is normally self-reporting. So I am completing an assessment about myself a 360 would be other people completing their opinion of me, which is behavior-based mm-hmm. or competency-based then. Um, I do think that there's a lot of value in 360s and primarily the way that I would use it is to do a 360 to assess what other people's perceptions are of your behavior or your competencies in specific areas. You can then use a psychometric tool to create the self-awareness and those two in combination can then help you to to improve yourself going forward. You talked a bit about the validity of these. Can I game my self-assessment? Can I do a DISC profile or an MBTI or 360 LSI and game it so I get the result I want? It, it is possible if you know what the instrument measures and how it measures that. So what we find very often um, when people repeatedly do the same assessment, then after a while, obviously, they, you know, they, they can manipulate the results. However, I, in a developmental context, I always ask the question, but why would you want to do that? In a recruitment context, yes, to a certain degree, I think there could be, you know, people trying to manipulate. But even in recruitment, do I really want to be in a job that doesn't fit my personality and that doesn't fit my behavioral preferences, I as an individual am going to be unhappy in that role. I'm going to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. So nobody really wins unless you're seriously desperate for a job, which I which I hope is not mm-hmm. the case when you're going through this process. And what about mood? So people often say to me, oh, I filled this one out when I was having a bad day, Margie, so it doesn't mm-hmm. apply. Yeah. Does it apply still yeah. if we're having a bad day? It, well, the, the bad day can definitely influence the results. The question is to what extent. Uh, a properly valid or validated uh, psychometric assessment uh, should take account for slight mood swings over a period of time. Now, behavior specifically does change from day to day. And, you know, if you've just started a new job or you just got a new manager or you've just had a traumatic experience, you know, your life partner may have passed away or you, you know, going through something like that will definitely affect uh, your results. But if the psychometric instrument is properly validated, uh, those changes should not um, necessarily impact the long-term validity of the instrument. So interesting we're talking today. So a colleague rang and said, I've just completed an assessment online and it was gaming. Yes. And they said to me, I'll be no good at that because I don't game and it doesn't (laughs) doesn't play to my strengths. So is the new... Um, type of assessment through gaming still valid? There, there's, a, there's a very interesting debate going on within the uh, psychometric um, circles at the moment about the validity of, of gamification, as we mm. call it. So there are some um, gaming uh, instruments that have relatively high levels of validity and reliability. Uh, it seems that it was uh, almost a lot more popular five, six years ago, and there are serious questions being asked. Mm. Um, the, the big issue in the end is what gamification does is, uh, in the first instance, 
it makes it more user-friendly. So it's more fun to complete the assessment. Very often companies have problems in that people don't want to sit down and do an assessment that's going to take them 25 or 30 minutes, whereas playing a game could actually, you know, uh, make the process a lot more fun for the for the candidate. And the second part in which gaming definitely has a benefit is in almost hiding that which you're trying to assess. Okay, so you can't game the game. Yes, <laughs> it, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult to yeah. game the game, so to speak. Yeah. However, and um, there are definitely some gamified assessments out in the marketplace that uh, have relatively high levels of validity and predictability, but that's the area in which most of the questions are being asked, mm. uh, whether that is um, mm. up to standard with the traditional assessments. Yeah, this person said, how can my verbal reasoning be assessed on an online gamification mm. test? Yeah, and I said, exactly. well, probably, not, mm. I'm not quite sure. You yeah. have to ask them, but they're not <laughs> telling you. So so this idea about it being valid, um, one, one other question I want to ask, can I reset it if I don't like the results? Once again, it depends on the assessment. Uh, if we're talking about trait-based assessments, for instance, um, then we recommend that you do those more or less once per annum, um, as a minimum frequency. Sorry, as a maximum frequency. So not not more often than that. Uh, behavior can change more quickly than that. So as I said earlier on, if you've gone through a traumatic experience or joined a new mm. company or something, we normally suggest that you wait about three to six months before retaking it. And then with the cognitive assessments, uh, that becomes a little bit more complex because there's learned behavior in there. So if I give you an assessment to do and you need to learn as you go, the second time you do the assessment, three or six months later, obviously you you know what the process is. You figured it out. So you've almost got an unfair advantage. Okay. Um, I know that there are some test publishers that don't ever allow you to reset the same assessment again. Um, I find that specifically within behavior and uh, personality assessments, uh, there is some value in in redoing them from time to time. There's this idea of um, when we use it, and I often use these assessments to begin a conversation mm -hmm. rather than saying this is my label and yeah. everybody being able to point fingers and say, oh, well, you're this or you're a D or mm. you're a, mm. you know, whatever it might be. Actually allowing people to start to talk about their preferences mm. and when they're at their best. Um when I've seen it not work is when the labels come out yeah. and people start to point fingers. Would you agree with that view? I would, absolutely. As far as the conversation starter is concerned, um, I think you're absolutely spot on. Uh, very often what we find when we start having these conversations about the individual, it doesn't necessarily provide the answers, but it gives you the right questions to ask. Oh, tell me a bit more about that. I like that. I like that idea. It's not about the answers, it's about the questions we yes, ask. Tell me yes. a bit more about that. It's a, it's a development pathway. So um, even if we think about a recruitment context, if I do an interview with a new candidate, I would do the assessments before the interview. And then during the interview, I would ask the questions of the candidate and basically test their self-awareness. So if I ask somebody during an interview, tell me your three greatest strengths. I already know that because of the assessment that I have in front of me. What I'm testing is whether the person has the self-awareness uh, and whether they're being honest and upfront and open. And in any other kind of uh, context, if we're having a conversation uh, about a manager that's struggling with his team or her team, 
um, and we do the assessments, then we can start looking at the differences between the different members of that team. How do I need to adjust? How do I need to adapt? How do I need to be more aware of other people's preferences so that I can be a more effective manager? I had a client once and uh, we did their disc Mm -hmm. because this uh, engagement had come back and really low scores and she thought she was the best leader on earth. Mm -hmm. And we did the disc assessments and everybody in her team was basically a steadiness and S, very um, diplomatic and um, paced uh, evenly. Slower paced, yeah. Yeah, and she was a high D, high Mm -hmm. energy, goal striving, driving off the chart. And she would stand (laughs) at the middle of the room in the morning and say, good morning team, 200 people in the yeah. room. Good morning, team. Hi, great day. And walk to her office and close the door. Yeah. And everyone was finding her insincere, not really Absolutely. communicating well and not mm. understanding where they were coming from and they didn't trust her. Mm. So actually what the best thing we ever did was do the assessment and everyone said, oh, ha-ha, now I get it. And the leader then changed her style of greeting people in the morning and connecting with them. So that's when I think the magic can happen in a team uh, and that simply. Absolutely. Um, There's no doubt that that self-awareness in itself can can just be the catalyst that you need in order to to change behaviour, in order for for people to understand one another better. I very often um, refer to it as, you know, some of us are wearing blue sunglasses. And that means that we see the entire world as blue. We're not even aware of the fact that other people might be seeing red or green or yellow. And if, if I do an assessment and I see your results, it actually helps me just to take my own glasses off a little bit and try and view the world through your eyes and then adjust my behavior accordingly. The other question I like to ask people is, does this serve you well? Absolutely. Simple, does this serve you well? Rather yeah. than you are right or wrong. And I know a lot of the assessments that you provide aren't right or wrong. Absolutely. They just are a way indicative, of indicative, yes. which is fantastic. Mm. So what situations do we need to look out for if I'm in the workplace and being offered up one of these tests or being told I need to do it? What are the implications for privacy? Should I be able to have my results back if I've been recruited and filled out an assessment Am I allowed to know what that assessment says? Yes, best practice around the world. Now, obviously, different uh, places have different uh, legislation around this or different rules and regulations. But best practice is that we always give a candidate the feedback that they require. So that might come from the client. It might come from us as the test publisher. But uh, we believe that that data belongs to you. Uh, You are the person that completed it. And therefore, we do believe that there should be a conversation about the results. And my advice to to clients always is to be open and honest with a candidate about why we decided not to offer you this particular position. And part of that might be, as I said right in the beginning, you're going to be frustrated and unhappy in this role. There's no sense in me offering you a role which is not compatible with who you are as a person, with your personality, with your preferences. Uh, or that could bore you or whatever the case is. So so we absolutely encourage that open, honest conversation. If I've done a leadership course and one of these assessments is part of that, does my manager have to see it or does it belong to me? Normally there would be a um, clause b- b- before you do the assessment that actually um, in which you release um, that information to your manager. Uh, so you would once again have the, um, the, the right. preference. Mm, okay. Yeah. We're well, really good to know. Um, 
What happens if you're being poorly facilitated through this process? So I'm an executive coach and, you know, I like to think I'm pretty good at all of these things and facilitating it. However, um, I have been in a situation where I've had to pick other people up after it's been poorly mm. um, debriefed. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's uh, that's very often the case, um, that companies don't necessarily use assessments in the right way. And I think going back to the question in the beginning, that's, that's part of the reason also why some people are suspicious about it, because they don't necessarily have a positive experience going through that whole process and getting the debrief and the feedback and everything. And um, if I point out specifically 360s, um, they can be hugely beneficial tools. But that is one particular area where we need to be very careful in terms of how we handle the feedback, uh, because very often people can can perceive it as negative feedback that you know, or as criticism that comes back their way from their colleagues. Um, so obviously, the person that provides the feedback needs to be properly trained in the assessments. That's an absolute requirement. You cannot provide, even if you're a psychologist, uh, you should not be providing feedback on an instrument in which you have not been trained. Uh, and then obviously there should be the, the proper context for that, uh, especially if, if third parties are involved. Yeah, and that psychopathologizing of others is so dangerous <laughs> when is. we don't really, um, uh, we're not really qualified. I, I like to say when we, um, unqualified diagnosis is just judgment in disguise. Absolutely, spot mm. on. So when they're used, let's talk about the positive difference they make. I'd like to sort of end with this understanding of the real difference that this can make if we get a, a, an assessment um, and we use it for good. I think there are hugely powerful tools uh, to be used for developmental purposes primarily. We, ne- we need to keep in mind, uh, especially if we're talking about behaviour and emotional intelligence and personality, Uh, As I said earlier on, we all walk through life with different colored sunglasses. Um, And it's only when we get to the point where we realize that my view of the world is tainted because of the glasses that I'm wearing, that I can start to try and understand other people's points of view. Um, I had a situation very, very recently with a sales manager within our own organization asking me the question, you know, how can I improve my my management skills to my own team. And uh, having that conversation was a lot easier on the back of his own assessments to look at the potential pitfalls and to then, you know, play that through into the interactions with the team. Um, and I think it's a it's a hugely important tool that we sometimes miss because we're critical of it or suspicious of it. But there's huge areas for development uh, if we can shine the light into those little dark corners and say, but... I wasn't even aware of the fact that I could come across as being very aggressive or not listening when people talking to me or being results-oriented and not caring about people. Um, If that self-awareness starts, uh, that's the beginning of change. And then obviously the second part, uh, as I said earlier, is to to have a better understanding of the people that I'm working with. So we normally advocate the idea that people share their results with each other in the team, not just with the management, but so that I understand you better as a person when you're in the same team environment that I am, so that I can then know how to adapt, how to change. Um, And if the willingness is there, then it could improve relationships substantially. Beginning the conversation with a common language. Fantastic. Andres, thank you so much. Today has been very interesting and informative. So the tips for today are don't be scared. Uh, Use these assessments for your advantage for growth and engage enthusiastically with the feedback. 
Make good choices and get to know yourself better so you can be the best version of you. Fast Track is produced in the studios of Podcast One Australia. The producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the app or search Fast Track Career Conversations Podcast.